Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Game Master Tips, number 14. Campaign Building with Jay Gray. Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? Howdy. Yeah, so... Uh, you know, it has been a week, but a good week. Yeah, I know you've been super busy over there at our Talsorian. Uh, you know, the... Just a little bit. Yeah. Well, I see, like, not just uh, red finishing up and obviously everything going to print and you have all the distribution, all the business side of things now that you're done with editorial and layout, but I also see, you know, uh, Mike just did that interview today and I know you guys have the every Friday you're releasing cool press about it so like it's just seems like you're you're revving up even though it seems like that was ending it seems like there's even more it's awesome yeah it essentially means that we're, we've moved on from being only able to work on one thing to being able to work on all the other things that we have to work <laughs> on which is not a bad thing at all honestly there's uh there's a few things that got pushed off a little bit because we had to we had to f- focus as a team on one project yeah, makes sense. Um, so yeah, you know, this series is all about Game Master Tips. Um, this one in particular is about your process of campaign building. And b- before we get into that, though, like I said, I would like to just, you know, you take a few minutes um, just to kind of explain your background in history, like from a kid, your first role-playing game or whatever, you know, up until now, as far as being a player or game master or experiences with role-playing games. Sure. I uh, grew up in a small town that was somehow big enough to have a comic shop, so I was a comic nerd. And one day up on the wall, there was, uh, showing my age here, there was a copy of the Marvel Superheroes role-playing game. I believe the basic set, it was a box set from TSR back when there was a TSR. Uh, I was like, ooh, well, I can spend my $20 on comic books, or I can spend my $20 on this game that tells me I'll be able to make my own superheroes. And I did. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was all from there. The, the, the concept of role-playing games was very intriguing. I didn't get to play for like five years, anything until, uh, when I was 18 and the Timothy Zahn books came out for Star Wars and suddenly everyone was interested in Star Wars again. And so, uh, some friends who were also not generally gamers in the first place, but really into Star Wars said, oh, let's play this Star Wars game you have. Cause I had the West old West end D six version. And from there, you know, I went off to college, and at college there was a gaming club, and uh, I was in half a session of Champions before I quit because it was horrible. Not Champions. Champions is a fine system, but uh, the the game itself was uh, very interested in the mechanics and not very interested in the gaming, the role-playing. And uh, World of Darkness came along, and uh, everyone played that, and I think I played nothing but vampire and mage for half a decade. Uh, and then after that, we branched out. Uh, and more often than not, the way that my groups, my group tended to work was I was the game master. Um, other people were occasionally, and that was very cool. But more often than not, it's just, it fell to me. Uh, I, in truth, make a horrible player because I have a new character concept at just about every other session. <laughs> and so the game master uh, doesn't have time 
to uh, to build anything with me uh, before I'm like, oh, I'm getting kind of bored of this. Yeah. Uh, I have a new idea. Yeah, sp- spoken like a true game master, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Year, years and years and years later, um, uh, I got into Pathfinder, and um, for a while, Paizo, the company that publishes Pathfinder, was running what they call a superstar contest, where every year they would do a um, kind of like a, a, a battle royale uh, where people would enter, and it would start with round one, and everyone would give a magic item. Uh, uh, enter a magic item and then everyone would vote on it uh, the general public and anyone who made it through got to the next round and the idea is if you made it you made it to the finals you got a contract i didn't i didn't even get past the first round but it got me interested enough and there was uh, at the time and it still is but it's much less so now that uh, uh five years out there was a robust third-party pathfinder uh, publishing system where a lot of people own small publishers because these days to publish a role-playing game or role-playing game product all you really need is a computer and internet access and um, gumption and uh, so I got into third-party role-playing uh, publishing and from there branched out from Pathfinder to other systems and specifically uh, the company I work for sometimes called Fat Goblin Games got the Castle Falkenstein license from Artel Zorian uh, uh, mostly because I said hey if you get this license, I'll work on it for free. Um, fortunately, the owner of the company didn't hold me to that. I should note that Falcon Scene is my favorite game. Oh. Uh, and um, uh, But I made several products for that. Uh, I was pretty much the only person working on the line, which was almost by design. I just loved working on it so much. And uh, that got me in the eyesights of the Mike Pondsmith and Lisa Pondsmith and Cody Pondsmith. And a few years later, they decided they needed someone to handle online stuff and that was me that's awesome i uh i'm glad we finally got to talk about you a bit you know every time we do an interview or a panel or you know there's videos that you're involved with it's always you know well i guess doing your job and supporting the company that you're with and it's awesome you know but we never hear about you and it that was pretty cool uh one thing that surprises me is like you know you didn't get your start with D &D. a lot of people you know that's like the classic that's crazy you started with marvel and uh went through you know, the process and, and ended up, you know, trying Pathfinder and stuff, but you never really got into D and D or, or later on, did you try it or? In junior high school, I think I played one, one half a session just for fun with a friend out of the basic box. He happened to own it. We, we played around with it, but it never went anywhere. Years, years later, I got into a 3.5 game. Um, and, uh, I briefly played in a, a four game and I've done some 5e, uh, with uh, with my kids because uh, it's a really t- relatively easy system to get into and it says it's what they're playing because the local library runs D and D games which my daughter is uh, playing in right now. Oh, that's it's crazy. pretty cool. Uh, they're doing it. Oh yeah, no, yeah, a lot of libraries, are doing it, like uh, several libraries in the area, uh, do it as part of their uh, their teen program. I had no idea that that was going on and like wow, look how far that's come from like you know. The, the game yeah. of Satan and stuff, obviously, and we know that that's all changed, but now, now it's even in libraries for teen programs and stuff or whatever. That's that's incredible. Oh, yeah. RTG has a uh, has a program to donate books to libraries who ask for them, actually. That's really cool. Uh, so, yeah, it's pretty exciting. Um, books, uh, we get uh, we get requests from uh, after-school clubs from schools, uh, who, schools that role-playing clubs. So it's it's pretty cool. We're, we're, we're pretty psyched about it. It has come a long way. A lot of um, a lot of, well, the nice thing is a lot of teachers, a lot of educators, a lot of, uh, 
librarians are, you know, our age. And right, right. so they grew up in a different time period. And now, you know, they played when they were kids and they realize it's a, a great way to get, engage kids' imaginations, but be also a good learning tool. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of research, for example, into the use of role-playing games as a form of therapy, mm-hmm. which is nice. Um, you, you know, a way to, to step outside yourself and play out scenarios and deal with emotions that you wouldn't normally deal with. And so, and uh, actually some of the Pathfinder stuff I did was educationally based. I wrote an entire adventure where a group of kids uh, help out a beehive that's been captured by a goblin. They oh. shrink down and they infiltrate the hive and they defeat the goblin and, uh, and free the bees. And along the way they learn about bees and what they do and how they make honey and how they build their hives and their behaviors. That's awesome. That's, <laughs> that's what a great idea. That's really cool. What's your, uh, What's your current game now? Like, you know, I, I get where you started in the process of going through. Obviously, you GM all mm-hmm. the time, but what's your current passion with GMing and playing, you know? Right now, I am. In fact, I'll be doing this tomorrow. Uh, I'm running a Ryutama campaign. Ryutama is a Japanese role-playing game that was translated and brought to uh, the U.S. a few years back through a Kickstarter. And it is basically, they, the tagline is uh, in America is, uh, it's a uh, Miyazaki film meets Oregon Trail. Because the idea is um, you live in a world, exactly what world it is, is up to you. Um, but you live in a world where there are, uh, everyone takes a journey at some point in their life. They just, you know, like in Pokemon, they've got to go and they've got to take a, a trip somewhere and they got to wander around for no real reason. And, uh, and just, uh, have adventures. And so you are in that world and, um, you're in a journey and it's simple and easy to play. Uh, it started off with, uh, a, a, um, a guy in Japan worked at what they call a role-playing cafe, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's a cafe where people come to play role-playing games. And so they invented this as a really simple way to get customers to come in and playing with a, a more Japanese flavor that they would feel more comfortable with culturally. Oh. And uh, it's, it's, it's nice and relatively simple, but it has a fair amount of depth. Um, and it's got some wonderful wholesomeness to it which is really nice uh uh you know there's a lot of dark stuff out there and that's fun cyberpunk is fun and grim and gritty is fun and world directness is fun but it's also nice every once in a while to just take a break and say oh yep it's nice that we're going to help this person for no reason other than to help them and then later on we're going to have a mission where we have to go collect apples and sure we're going to have to fight slimes to get them but afterwards we're going to take the nice apples to the lady at the end and she's gonna make us pie nice (laughs) that's awesome no, I agree. Yeah. I think, like, you know, obviously cyberpunk is my favorite, you know, and I love that, mm-hmm. like you said, the dark, dangerous, gritty stuff. But you need that contrast, you know, like it, stuff isn't so dark and gritty unless you have something to compare it to and you've got to enjoy, you know, the full spectrum of emotions and gaming and all that stuff. So that's cool. I, I can appreciate that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So before we get into your process of campaign building, um, first, you know, obviously, this process, try to try to go through it so it can fit, you know, any game system or whatever. This is generally speaking of your, your mm-hmm. process of building a campaign. But but before we get into that, do you typically create your own campaigns for whatever you're playing? Or do you like to run, you know, preset modules? Or do you like to combine? Or how, how do you kind of start? I have, I have never run a full what you call an adventure path before. 
where someone else makes a campaign from start to finish. I've, I've never done that. I will run modules all the time uh, where I will take an idea a module, whatever it is, and I will adapt it to whatever camp I'm, campaign I'm running uh, just because like I'll need a, I'll need a day or, you know, where I'm not making a lot of stuff up. And I, so I'll take the module and say, okay, well, a little adaption, it works just fine for this. Uh, but uh, generally I make things up because uh, I find that it, as you play, the things that happen suggest other things that will happen. And there is just like a domino effect uh, where you don't need, or at least I don't, I don't need as much outside work to get it going because um, you just wander from, from point to point uh, and the points pop up as new as uh, your PCs do something, they make friends, they make enemies and new ideas present themselves. Nice. So yeah, let's let's go through that process. So like, let's say you've got your players ready, you know, you set your date, whatever. You typically have a session zero first to get the style, you know, and all, all the introductions and characters, I imagine. You start yeah. with it. Session, session zeros are wonderful. Sometimes they're not session zero so much as session point, point zero fives, where I'll do it with individuals rather than as, as a whole. Um, sometimes uh, we'll do it as we do. I did a session zero with this Ryutama game, which started with character generation and then ended with about a, an hour of play. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- there's a good piece of advice. Uh, if case character generation goes fast, be ready for like an hour just to introduce people to the world. Uh, back, I'm going to, I'm going to mention, I'm going to do some heresy now. Uh, back when I've run Shadowrun, uh, in many editions of Shadowrun, there is a game, an adventure called Stuffit Shack. Mm-hmm. And Stuffit Shack is literally, you go to the convenience store, while you're there, someone tries to rob it. What do you do? Um, it, it it is a beautiful. I've run it a dozen times by now. It's a beautiful, simple one hour thing uh, that gets people into the world and into the rules. And it comes with, or it came with, a random destruction table that tells you, um, like uh, this round, the soda machine explodes, and this round, uh, the, the chips go everywhere because somebody shot through the 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 uh, spinner rack where all the all the chips were, uh, and it's really easily adaptable to any modern or science fiction setting or even you could do it i suppose in a um in a fantasy setting with uh, a more traditional uh shop where it's not chips and soda machines so much as it is uh uh barrels full of dried fish and and water mm-hmm. and wine uh, but I, having that is really useful but no i we start with characters uh, almost always I, I have some ideas i know what the world's like um and i'll usually start with we're going to start with this area in the world and uh whether that area is the ship they're going to be on in a science fiction game i love science fiction let me tell you something space games have one thing over any other kind of game the ship because there is always a reason for people to be together if they're on a ship if they're the crew of the ship they work for they work together they have no choice because they've got to keep that ship going um other games, not so much. You could do an airship, I suppose, in a fantasy game. Um, it's a little harder in, in games like Cyberpunk or, say, Vampire. Uh, but I love, I love the mobile headquarters aspect of, of space games. It makes it easier. Um, yeah, in a fantasy kinda, game, I'll yeah, say, it kind of puts the players already like in this yeah. thing they can't escape from necessarily or whatever. But yeah, it puts them in this little right. mini world within the world already. You know. That's and cool. and it defines things nicely because you can say okay someone needs to be the pilot someone needs to be someone needs to be the navigator someone needs to be the person that does the weapons someone needs to, depending on what kind of game traveler has very has a dozen positions whereas 
Um, Star Wars, you can run a ship with one person, but it, it helps you get crew positions and you know right away what people are doing. Um, uh, Leverage uh, from Margaret Weiss Gaines, which is unfortunately no longer production, which is based on the television series, did the same thing. Someone played the hacker, someone played the mastermind, someone played the uh, the thief, you know, someone played the, the con artist. And as a result, they, did, they, they were sort of like character classes, but they formed this cohesive whole because they were a organic crew. Um, and that helps a lot too uh, with a session zero is talking about, yes, this is your character, but how will your character work as a group? And that's, I think, something people forget a lot of times when they're doing something like this is they'll talk about the characters, but the group is a character too. And oh, you've yeah. got to talk about the parts of it. Um, just like if I were making a cyberpunk character, I would take into consideration, well, this character is made up of skills and stats and cyberware, and I've got to think about how each part works with the whole. A group is made up of individual characters. Mm-hmm. So I'll start with a place. I say, we're going to start in this city. You don't have to be from this city, um, but you need to be, have a reason to be in that city. Sometimes I'll start with a concept. We'll say, well, you're all members of a crew of a ship, or you're all... Uh, um, in Falcon Scene, maybe you all work for a paranormal investigation society in Victorian England. And then we'll go from there. Uh, once I have characters, backgrounds, uh, life path is fantastic for this in cyberpunk, I have ideas. Uh, and often I will not bring in the backgrounds right away. Like I won't bring in that enemy or that lover or uh, stuff right in the first session. I, usually I'll do a, a session or two to establish the world and then move forward to that why typically don't you like to put that in does it just it feels too forced whatever you like to establish the world without immediate motivations from life path or why do you hold that off it it, it helps i think because um nine times out of ten when you're playing a game there's a very good chance that people don't know a lot about the world so if they're focusing on their character, they're not focusing on learning about the world. And so the first session or two is often about, okay, you are in Night City. Night City has these districts. Why don't we have an adventure where we maybe take a tour of one or two of them so you can see them? You know, the difference between the combat zone and the, and the, and the uh, corporate, corporate center, that sort of thing. Um, you're, it helps when they're focusing on them. They're not paying as much attention to the way the world works. It's, um, it's a trick I learned from watching more modern cartoons will like especially something like steven universe mm-hmm. or um star versus the forces of evil or actually a lot just a, my even the little my little pony stuff uh, which we i watched with my daughter when she was smaller is they'll start with almost a sitcom kind of style where it's every episode is pretty self-contained and it doesn't seem to really have any much connection but you're slowly building here's what the world's like here are and here are the characters, and here's how the characters interact with each other, and then you get this overarching plot. Uh, by the time you're you're halfway through the season, you're like, oh wow, there's this plot. I didn't even realize this plot was there. And there is the other trick too: is if you focus on um, putting in a character's uh, backstory, uh, you're not focusing as much on why are these characters together and how are they building themselves up as a team. Um, it is hard to get every you know everyone's hook in every session. Oftentimes it'll be one or two people will be kind of the spotlight character of the session where their hook is what matters. Mm -hmm. Um, And when you do that, that those characters become the important characters, not that the other characters aren't important, 
but uh, I, the players I have usually understand they're the ones who, uh, if this were a television show, they would get the most lines. Uh, it would be their episode. Uh, you know, it's a Picard episode. It's a Crusher episode. It's a Riker episode. Um, and in the first couple of sessions, I wanted to be about the place and I wanted to be about them together as opposed to them as individuals. Yeah, that's great. Because if you don't build a team very quickly, it falls apart in my experience very quickly. Yeah, no, and I, I love that as like a, a, a great tip to get started is, you know, not diving right into a life path for motivations and things like that. Like you said, let's let's allow focus on, you know, the team itself, how they know each other and how they are in the world before they start putting focus on their individual things. I think that's great, you know, and it kind of they find cohesion and it puts them all together. They really get a feel for the world and then you can kind of get them into what's up. And like you said, sometimes by that time, it's like they're already getting into what the campaign or the plot is happening, but they've been so focused on the team and the world that they haven't even noticed, and it kind of organically, naturally, naturally feels like it's happening. I think that's great. Yeah, and it's not to say that you can't use aspects of the life path to explain why they're there. For example, if someone's working for a corporation, they roll up that and they decide. That may explain why they're working with these people, but you don't have to spend, in the first session or two, you're not dragging them into the corporate office and having them have that that day where they're having to explain themselves or fill out requisition forms or deal with their arch rival who's trying to get the promotion over them. That That's for later because once the group says a whole, then they can say, oh, I got this guy. He's trying to, you know, he's trying to sabotage my career. Will you help me? And the group's more likely to say, yeah, we'll go do that instead of just finding another job and getting another payday because you're our friend you're our crewmate we stick with our crew yeah no, i think that's great so yeah once you have that together and you know you you you've kind of gotten through the first couple sessions you know the players are, are you know they, they're role playing to the point you you feel like they know how they all fit in they understand the world everything is going well with with your plan with that now you're into like session three or whatever um you know, how do you kind of build your campaign? And I imagine you kind of pre, you know, already lay out kind of what you're going to do. So when you get there, you kind of have your direction or whatever, or maybe not. I don't know, but yeah, take, sometimes take me Sometimes I do. Sometimes <laughs> I do. Depends on, depends on whether I can think of something overarching at some. In the Ryotoma game I'm in, for example, uh, the characters are a baker, a farmer, a merchant, a healer, and a minstrel. Uh, and it starts with them all going on their journey, and they all meet in this coastal town, and they decide to uh, to journey together because it's safer than journeying alone. It's, it was a little contrived that they just decided to work on it, but they did it on their own. I didn't have to push them. I just said, you meet, you run into each other. And, you know, I gave them reasons they ran into each other, and they said, oh, well, why don't we journey together? And that was great. Um, and as just a little nugget, I threw in that when they got back from gathering apples, which is their first job was to go gather apples. Uh, there's a notice on the big board in the town center where that there is going to be a baking competition in one of the cities. And the baker's like, oh, well, then I should go that. And they have to go get uh, this monster part, this monster part, and this monster part, because it's baking with monster parts, uh, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, it, and so uh, they decide that what they're going to do do and I threw it out there just just as a thing. Uh, I wasn't really expecting them to take it, but it became the main plot with them moving forward, looking for the three ingredients they needed. That grew organically. Um, in another game I ran way back when I was running a game called Earth Dawn, uh, which is connected to Shadowrun. Uh, once upon a time, it was the precursor to Shadowrun, historically speaking. Uh, Shadowrun happens in the sixth age. Earth Dawn happened in the fourth age, the age before. 
um, human history. Uh, and in that particular game, there was, you know, at the first, there, there was a seasonal plot line where the, the characters wake up in this place and they have to figure out why they're there. Um, and they have to figure out how they got transported there. And it, it is just a whole lot. And uh, there was always the plot line where they would have to retrieve the keys, one for each of the gods, to uh, attach into this uh, magical heart talisman that when all the keys were assembled and attached to the heart, everybody would get one wish. Uh, and that was the plot line from the very beginning. Uh, and, and that worked out well. So sometimes it's organic. Sometimes it is pre-planned. It really all depends on uh, how much energy I have and whether I have an idea or not. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it starts off pre-planned and ends up changing because the group goes in a completely different direction. Uh, being flexible is a beautiful thing for Game Master. Yeah, and to, you know, to kind of be flexible, are there certain things that you do, you know, in anticipation for curveballs? Like, you know, I know when I'm laying out a campaign, I might have my plot and key points and end result or whatever, and I'll intertwine motivations. It's there. But then I also kind of will realize, like when I when I'm going through, like ah, at this point they they might not do this. They it does seem like they could do that or that. And then I'll just have a couple little sidelines ready in, in in my notes or in my mind. Do you kind of pre-plan for curveballs thrown at you, or do you just kind of roll with it? Because obviously I, you have to roll with. You never know. But do you yeah. plan for some? I used to. Um, I used to flowchart my adventures. Uh, where I would draw a flow chart and I say, if, you know, if they do this, they go this direction. If they do that, they go that direction. Uh, because you don't want to railroad people. You don't want to force them down a single path. Uh, but um, uh, I've gotten to the point, this is not a brag, I swear, uh, but I don't generally need to anymore. Uh, and I'm usually pretty good at rolling with it these days where I can say, oh, well, that that was something I wasn't expecting. So I'll just make something up at this point. And a lot of times it's just a case of, well, this this encounter was going to be over here. But now it's going to be over here and I have to change the character they're encountering, but the information they're going to get is the same. Um, so it's it's less about uh, – less about uh, – anticipating and more about being able to adapt. Uh, the one exception is when I'm running mystery adventures where they have to solve a mystery because if you don't plot a mystery out correctly in advance, they tend to fall apart and not make sense because uh, you have to be able to know where the clues are. And of course, when I'm writing an adventure like for publication, I, I always try to think oh, back to that flowchart mentality. Uh, at this junction, I can think of three things they were more li- most likely to do. They're most likely to go directly hunt the monster. They're most likely to go research. They're most likely to go, you know, assuming that they'll stay somewhat on the path to begin with. If they're not going to stay on the path and just going to say, oh, I don't care about the monster. I'm going to go uh, gambling at the local casino. There's there's not much I can do to help you there. Um, right. But, but, um, it, for for published adventures, I will think of that way. But for my own adventures, I, I I've gotten decent at anticipating it, and it helps that I generally know um, who I'm playing with. I will say um, there's a couple of scenarios I, I run Falconstein at Gen Con and other conventions, and there are a couple of uh, scenarios I bring out. And there's one I played more than any other, and not a single time have the players done a what I wrote. Uh, what I anticipated anyone doing, 
literally never. Uh, and once have they done the same thing as any other group, um, which uh, is great for my improv- improv- improvisational skills. Yeah. And there's the other thing. Uh, improving is a skill you develop over time. It's a muscle that you that you build. The more you do it, the better you are at it. Um, don't be afraid to say, okay, buy a break. Give me five minutes. I need to think. Right. Now, I think there's a couple uh, there's a couple tips right there over this this process. I think it's it's to be noted. You know, new GMs definitely try to map out your campaign, your plot, your story, have your key points. But like Jay said, maybe a flow chart so you can kind of keep track of options. And that that way, if players do throw curveballs, you at least have the more obvious ones that might happen ready. You know, because a new GM maybe you need that that little bit of help and stuff. But it's also to be noted. You know, with experience, you'll be better at thinking on your feet and being, you know, quick to respond to those tangents that maybe you didn't plan for. And um, and like you said, uh, improv skills. You know, if you have improv- improvational skills, you can kind of pull pull off some of those things a little better because, you know, let's face it, whatever they throw at you, you've got to quickly build that world around that scene, which which isn't just where they're going but it's the npcs the attitudes the responses to maybe their plans and all of a sudden you're you're not on that main you know plot or campaign you were you were planning so i think you know don't get frustrated as a new gm if some of those things are sticky you know because you might have to learn that over time and get that experience so don't be scared to say okay no problem let's do that give me five minutes and, and then you know take your notes and stuff and you'll kind of find if you do that you know, the players will probably start chatting with themselves about their plans and what they're going to do. And that'll give you a little time to kind of plan out what you're doing and maybe listen into some of that. So you can kind of anticipate options. Steal it. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Some of the best ideas come from this. Yeah. There's two things there. One, two things. And it's one is I got older and busier with life. Uh, I moved from writing. I, you know, I used to be the kind of person that wrote full descriptions of rooms and places people were going. So I'd be able to read them like uh, text. And now I bullet point. And I found actually as I got from writing big, expansive descriptions of places and of things and moved more towards uh, just quick bullet points, um, I got a lot more flexible because there was a lot less data. A, I had to remember, and B, I had to stick – I felt I needed to stick to. The other thing is – and Rio Tom was actually really good about this too. Don't be afraid to ask your players for ideas. It sounds counterintuitive. You're the GM. You're supposed to be in charge. You're the one that's that's telling the story. But it's a collaborative process. Um, uh, as an example, I uh, the baker goes eventually gets to the place where she has to enter the baking contest, and she goes to sign up for the contest. She's sitting down. They're going to interview her first because they're only taking so many contestants. It's a, basically it's a ripoff of the British baking, the Great British British Bake Off. I, I'm literally ripping it right out of there. And that's the other thing: steal, steal, and steal some more. And she's sitting there waiting for her interview with the host to determine whether or not she's going to be selected. Of course she is. There's no plot if she's not, but we build the anticipation. I say the door opens, someone walks out, and I look at the player and I say, what is your rival like? Tell me about them. And they give me a better background than I would about this character. Um, We learn more about her character, what she has to make up. We learn more about... um, about this rival, I get some great ideas for how this rival is going, how to use this rival in adventure. And it's the same kind of thing. Um, 
yes, younger or less experienced players or players who are very much into, into mid-maxing may take advantage of the, well, you tell me what happens or you tell me about this place, or you tell me about this character to give themselves advantages. Like, oh, this is my sensei, the 30th Dwan master black belt who is going to who is going to accompany us on all our missions now um you're always free to veto that but i think you're going to find that after a while most players will get into the storytelling aspect and will enjoy sharing a little bit of control with you to create uh to help create the scenario it takes a lot of pressure off you and it gives you some really good ideas that you wouldn't thought of because um you're outside your own head that way yeah and it show and, and it can also show you uh you know, like you said, the the relationship that maybe the player's character, you know, the player had in mind for their character with that uh, NPC or someone in their life. And you can, you know, like, for instance, if you were just to kind of kick out the NPC as a GM, uh, you might come up with a creative idea and a relationship and a description of that person in their life path. But you might miss something interesting that maybe the player had in mind for their character with that relationship. And, and, it, can, and it can kind of, I don't know, open doors to other story plots and ideas and cool things like you said that maybe you wouldn't have thought of you know and um and yeah i think that's important because uh another thing that you said and it's so true is that you know it's it's not just a gm story it's it's the team's story you know the all, everybody it's the gm the players everybody is collaborating to create this story within this world like yes as a gm you're creating the world and the, the sessions the campaigns the plots and you're you're controlling the environments or whatever and the story but it's definitely collaborative you have to you know keep in mind and take into account all the characters and players intentions and wishes and what they're trying to do um and i think that's a great point too yeah yeah you know it's um uh there is uh, a a comic book called knights of the dinner table put out by kenzer and company which also publishes Hackmaster, a a uh, kind of a spoof of traditional uh, role-playing games and in the Knights of the Dinner Table is about a bunch of gamers who game and they are the Knights of the Dinner Table they're game at somebody's dinner table uh, and it you know it, it makes fun of of uh, some of the worst impulses of gaming life that's a great comic I recommend it uh, but there's this great scene where the game master um, tries a new technique and he asks for a list of things the characters want and he gets the list and it actually really it, it not only introduces a great plot point for the rest of the comic, uh, literally uh, uh, becomes a staple of one of the characters. But it's just a great idea. Just you know, asking the character, asking the players, what do you want for this character? Give me some goals. Give me some things you want to happen. Because once again, a it saves you work, uh, which is a sneaky way to be lazy. Uh, but b um, when players achieve things they feel more invested and when they have a stake in the world, they feel more invested and the game is richer and deeper for it. Oh yeah. Now I had a, a, a DM uh, in my Dungeons and Dragons campaign that, that I was playing um, up until the quarantine kind of messed all that up. It wasn't a, an online thing. It was a local friend thing, you know, but, um, but he did that, you know, he was, he kind of had a session in between campaigns where, um, he kind of went over like, hey, everybody kind of let me know, you know, that now that you're getting up to this level, you know, what direction you see your character going? Like, what are your motivations and goals within this world now? Obviously, you guys are all working together, but what's your, your long-term goals and things? And also, if there's specific items and things you're hoping to come across or, 
you know, uh, encounters or things, you know, and then it was like over sessions and campaigns, you would kind of intertwine different things. And I don't know, it just, it made it more enjoyable and it didn't feel too contrived either. You know, it didn't feel too forced or, uh, I don't want to say rail railroaded cause it's not pushing the, the story or main plot, but it, um, it didn't feel cheesy or whatever. Like, Oh, I want to find this. Okay. Next campaign, you find this. Like it, it wasn't like that. You know what I mean? But, um, I you think still have to work for it. Exactly. And I think that's a great point is, uh, you know, it, I'll say it again is, you know, GMs make sure that you, you consider your players as part of the stories you're building and the things you're doing on every level, you know, um, because it is, it is a collaborative effort. Um, so once you get yeah. all that kind of laid out and obviously, you know, it sounds like your main thing, like, you know, with campaign building is, uh, you know, first few sessions allow them to kind of create themselves, feel out the world, do all that, then maybe dropping in some of the life path motivations or uh, immersive, relatable things for the characters within whatever story or campaign or you're building or plot points. Then you kind of get into that. And um, But it sounds like for you and like most experienced GMs, like you might have your main plot or story for your campaign um, that you decide on as you go. But you improv a lot of that. It sounds like maybe you don't plan out so much. You might have your bullet points. Um, do you, you still do flow mm-hmm. charts and stuff, or do you just strictly rely on kind of improv and you'll have no. your bullet points and then just hopefully it goes and you'll kind of be able to adjust as you go? Yeah, yeah. It, it, essentially, the bullet points become uh, points in a map, and I don't know how you'll get from A to B, uh, but eventually you'll get from A to B, and B may not be what it was it may have to be may need some adaption but you'll get there it is it it flows faster uh, and better in the game it's also easier for me to to put together uh, on the fly i usually do my planning these days the day before uh, though i let it tumble in my brain in the end of the last session uh, and then put it all down on a piece of paper so i have something to consult um and sometimes just the act of writing itself uh, i don't even need to necessarily go to the notes just the act of writing it down solidifies it i just need to 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 say okay x needs to happen or y should happen or uh, along the way they run into some skeletons and there's a reason because someone took down the the sign that indicated they are going into a haunted battlefield whoops um and once you do that i think uh, it, it gets a lot easier um the big thing there too, of course, is things have to make sense. Uh, your bad guys have to have motivations. Bad guys always work better. Uh, there, there is a there, there's a caveat to this. Enemies usually work better if there's a reason they do things. Mm-hmm. That reason does not have to be long and in depth. You do not know how to know their childhood or you know what happened to them to turn them to. You don't need to know Doctor Doom was in a lab and the lab blew up and now Doctor Doom is evil. Sometimes villains enemies work better when they have very simple motivations. The Borg are much more interesting when they just want to assimilate everything. They're a lot yeah. less interesting when you find out you know the Borg came from this particular scientific experiment and now you can defeat them every other time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, personal opinion uh, yeah, yeah. but um but i think so so but even then knowing that it's they're not just evil things people doing evil things they're evil people doing because they want to assimilate you because um they want to destroy anyone who's not human because uh 
they are the Inquisitors, and you don't need to know why the Inquisitors do what the Inquisitors do. Though it right. can be interesting to have a side story where you befriend an Inquisitor, find out your friend is an Inquisitor, and learn about them and why they joined. But in general, uh, the Inquisitors in Cyberpunk work well because they have motivation, and that motivation makes for good storylines. Um, at the same time, when you're getting to a personal level, that story about, oh, that person that lives in my apartment building that I borrowed a cup of sugar from last week has the robes in their closet. Um, and then having learning you know about them because you have that connection. So I guess what I'm saying is a lot of times groups work well on a nebulous basis, but individuals work well when you have a motivation, uh, but a depth to them. Um, and that's just general true with NPCs. So a, a good trick is to write uh, what what I call quirks, like three behaviors or three things about them. Um, for example, I might have an alchemist, and that alchemist may be incredibly excitable. That alchemist might like to blow things up as a matter of course, not like a bad way, it's just they like explosives. And that alchemist might... Um, talk very very fast and now i have three relatively shallow to be honest but easy to portray personality traits mm-hmm. that make the character interesting to interact with and once the character is interesting to interact with then the pcs can get beneath the um, surface level mannerisms and find story and connection um and uh build characters and sometimes uh, this is the another gm thing at some point in your campaign, you're going to introduce a throwaway campaign, a character, like the waiter at the local at the local restaurant, or the the gang member who. Um, at 20, if you've seen the 2077 gameplay video, um, where um, mm-hmm. they released what two years ago, God, was it two years ago now, yeah. uh, where V goes into the Maelstrom spoilers, V goes into the Maelstrom's hideout, and this one gang member offers her drugs, and she takes it, and that character was a throwaway character. That character was meant to be there say a few lines and probably die. And that character was probably the most popular character to come out of that gameplay video. Um, (laughs) That's going to happen to you. You're going to have some throwaway character. You didn't mean to be there and you're going to make the mistake of giving them a name or they're going to ask for the name. You're going to make one up on the spot and your characters are going to be, your players to be so enamored with that NPC that that NPC could become a bigger part of your campaign. So be prepared for that. Yeah. I think, uh, you know the the tips right here that I really like that that you just went over were, um, you know, it's definitely an experienced GM sort of thing, and I totally can relate to like lack of time and kind of like tumbling around the main points and the ideas after the session, and then maybe like as falling asleep nights for the next week or whatever here and there you come up with ideas, but then it's like the day before I'm like oh shit let me do my bullet points let me make sure I write all these stats down so when it comes time to roll or they interact, but um. But I think you know it's definitely uh, advanced to just roll with it. Have your have your main bullet points of your campaign, your plot, your story, your end result, and then be ready to move them and, and, and just roll with wherever they, those points need to go uh, to have the story make sense. Uh, because the players, it's an open world; they could go anywhere. But keeping in mind that as you move those points around, um, you need to at least have some type of reason for these enemies, these NPCs, these things. No matter where these get moved. That's maybe something to keep in mind, like be able to roll with wherever it goes and you're pulling those points to, but also kind of know like, okay, well, if they're, they're going to this, this point of the mission or they're trying to get to this end result, 
Um, the reason this enemy is going to try to stop them, I guess, would be, and you know, you come up with these reasons that make sense. So no matter wherever they take these points, the interactions that you do, you already kind of have that, that backbone of why that would make sense that these people might be friendly or these might be enemies. And then the the other point that I like that you made that kind of bring NPCs to life, um, and within campaign or just within world building, anything, one shots, however you do it. I love this idea. Um, and I've heard similar things to it, but you know, coming up with those three sort of characteristics or, or um, things that make that NPC memorable or that stand out, you know, whether it be a limp, a lisp, an accent, a certain cork, you know, they always have to smoke a cigar, whatever it is that you make that, that bring that character to life. You know, I love that coming up with like three things for each NPC. I think that's a great thing uh, for GMs. Make those notes, you know, um, because that, that brings it to life. It totally does. And then you're not stuck... Um, you know, at, at, at just the drop of a hat, trying to come up with those things to bring those NPCs to life. Not that that's going to happen, because that's another thing that you mentioned, and it's so true, that you might come up with those other, like, I don't know, secondary NPCs, or just, like you said, throwaway characters, not that you, you didn't even think they're going to interact with, but all of a sudden they're like, you know what, let me run over and talk to that waitress that walked by. And you're like, wait, okay, yeah, her name is, you know, and you're thinking, you just, you got to be ready for that. And that's definitely something... Um, you know, more experienced GMs, I think, can kind of just roll with as as the, those curveballs get thrown at you. You can catch them and just keep going. But um, lesser experienced GMs, just kind of be prepared for that. Maybe like uh, even if you have throwaway characters, if you have the time, go back and just rethink. Like, OK, I know that's a throwaway, but just in case, like this will be their name and they'll kind of be into that sort of stuff if I have to go there. <laughs> you know, like yeah. maybe yeah. as a new GM, don't make any throwaway characters because you never know. And then as you get a little more experienced, you can kind of gauge how, how it goes. Yeah, a good trick there is don't be afraid to steal. Um, you have seen in your life hundreds, if not thousands of hours of television and movies with plenty of characters uh, that you can basically say, oh, this is basically... This this is basically uh, Reverend uh, Shepherd Book from Firefly, um, and uh, he's, that is sitting in the corner, and uh, and suddenly the character is talking might might not be talking about things, and nice little bit of slow drawl, um, simple, calm, peaceful, it, it'll come to you, and they will they may recognize it, but chances are they won't. Uh, change right. a couple of details, and you get them pre- and you get them pretty fast. And you know the characters you've watched. You've watched, you know, if you've watched a series all the way through, uh, you've watched a character for dozens and dozens of hours, and uh, you're not going to necessarily mimic them perfectly, but you'll get enough that you can you can get them on the spot. Oh yeah, no, and that's a great tip because there's so many resources for, you know, uh, gaming, whether it's cyberpunk or D and D or whatever. You can reference plenty of movies and series and TV shows to kind of quickly pull characteristics or characters from and just make it a slightly different. And there you got an NPC to quickly work with. Like that's definitely a great thing. I mean, all GMs steal ideas and things anyways, creating, but that's a great uh, tip for new GMs to really keep in mind. Like, you know, you can always do that on the fly. Like all of a sudden a throwaway character has to become a main character. You have to quickly kind of give them some depth. Think of a, a series or movie or something, grab character that makes sense to drop that. That's how they are. You know what I mean? I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, 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 it's pretty good. And, it, you know, you can do it and don't be afraid. The, the greats do it. Uh, there's an adventure. There's a book called Tales from the Forlorn Hope that came out for Cyberpunk 2020. Mm-hmm. Great book. And every single plot in that is pulled from a movie or a television show of some kind. Uh, uh, there are two uh, 
uh, female characters in it who are basically the dirty pair from anime. Uh, yeah, it's just one of those things we all do it. Um, you know, there's a reason why the AVs in cyberpunk look the way they do. And that's because they look like that in Blade Runner. So it's, uh, it's one of those things where Mike steals, we steal, everyone steals. Uh, and if you're going to steal, steal for the best. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of the, the, bigger world building if you think about it because whether you're playing you know dnd 5e or cyberpunk 2020 or red or uh you know star wars or well star wars is definitely more specific to star wars but um but whether you're playing any of these other genres um you know you can easily grab into any one of the big you know it, it is a genre before a game or a movie or a thing you know it's it it's all within the same thing so for instance if you're playing cyberpunk whether red 2020 whatever it is there's a whole genre and world out there of film and TV and fashion and things, you know, you can pull from and like, just don't be scared to do it. It's not, you know, like you said, it's stealing, but it, it really isn't if you think about it. Cause it's, it's, it's really just kind of all part of the same world. You're just kind of manipulating that idea to fit within, within your own. But, um, but yeah, I think it's, it's not something to be, you know, scared of new GMs make note of that. You can easily grab ideas and, and manipulate for your own, you know? They're out yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. Um, any other? It is. And, you know, I was going to say, any other tips? Like, uh, you know, I think this is, we went over plenty of stuff for like, you know, establishing the world and the team and, you know, dealing with NPCs, moving the bullet points, kind of improving, uh, you know, pulling from other resources to, to help your ideas and, and deal with those quick changing uh, improv moments that you might have as a GM. Is there any other tips or things that we didn't go over within those processes and then also towards the end, any, you know, interesting things that you like to do for like the end result? Um, you know, do you, do you typically like to set it up so it leads into other things? Do you plan for alternate endings or do you like to have an epic ending that you know is going to be awesome and you got to make sure that they get there? Or how does that work for you? Oh, see, um, it again depends. Um, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll set up the end scenario, but not the end result. Um, I have an idea of what was is most likely to happen a lot of times. Um, you know, the players are playing fairly competent people, but you never know. The dice roll weird sometimes. Oh, yeah. um, but I know roughly what it is. Uh, having a good endpoint is a good idea. Um, open-ended campaigns fizzle uh, in general, my experience is. If it's just ongoing forever, it's going to fizzle, and then it's not going to be satisfying. Having a ending of some sort in mind, even if it's just like my back television idea, even if it's just a season ending as opposed to a series ending, uh, yeah, it's is is super helpful, and it's just it, it's as nice as something simple like I know that along the lines, the character's goal this season is to collect the seven keys, find the Oracalcum heart, and take it to this temple upon which they will be able to touch the keys to the heart and make their wish and change the world. And I don't necessarily know how they're going to get there yet, but it, it gives me an end goal, and it, it's it's super helpful, you know. So that is their end goal. That's not necessarily what's going to happen. That is, if they choose to follow the plot path, that's what's going to happen. If they don't choose to follow the plot point, the, the plot path, something else will happen, and that's fine too. Um, but you said uh, on other advice, I'll tell you this: the biggest enemy a game master has is fear. And what I mean by that is that uh, you are performing 
you may not realize it, but your game master screen is a small stage, and there are four to seven or however many players you have uh, people in your audience staring at you while you are being that NPC or describing that world. And it can be really hard uh, to let go and inhabit the moment and the character. Um, and this is not a, I can give you a surefire way to, to let go of that fear and not be afraid to do that silly accent or make that silly voice or, or ham up that role or make yourself look really stupid um, because that is something everyone has to discover for themselves. <laughs> but I think if you're aware that what's holding you back from doing it is not uh, – it is fear – then you're going to have uh, an easier time realizing it. Once you, once you identify a problem, it's easier find, for you to start to find solutions. Um, and in general, yeah, you'll get made fun for making that stupid voice or playing that stupid character, but it'll be in a, hopefully, if you have a good group, a teasing, a, a friendly teasing sort of, oh, that was stupid, but it was awesome at the same time yeah, kind yeah. of way. It'll be more uh, laughing with you than at you. You know, yes. it really will. Like, yes. uh, you know, you enjoy that. It's really cool when, you know, game masters and dungeon masters and whatever, you, when you have that, it, it definitely adds to the game. You know, it gives it a little bit of spice. And like, like you said, they might laugh or, or be like, oh my God, that's so dumb or whatever. But it's like, it's with you. You know what I mean? Keep yeah. that in mind. Like, you know, players appreciate that. And it's so true. It is fear, uh, you know, that, that keeps a lot of uh, game masters from really crossing that line you know because a lot can do the rules describe things and then play and recite what's being said but to i don't know give it a little bit of spice or sound effects or like try just try an accent or a weird voice or something it is it can be a little bit you know scary at first but uh, once you get into it like you said you know don't be scared to look stupid you know like if you can just kind of just have fun with it and know that you know it's it's goofy and it's supposed to be feeling that way at first but just go for it and like before you know it like You'll just be doing it and players will appreciate it and, you know, they'll start doing it too. Sometimes, like, you'll find that if you start letting loose, the players will as well. All of a sudden, they'll, they'll give a little more spice to their character and things they're they're saying and doing, you know? I noticed that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, 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 it's like, it's like you're, as a group, you're giving each other permission to be not you. Or to, to to act and uh, getting getting past that self consciousness is a big step. Oh, it's so true. That is so but, true. Uh, do it once you do it, it gets easier. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, not just easier, but more enjoyable. And I think, like you just tapped in, it, it's always it's always hard at first. And everybody, you know, is is always kind. Of, I feel like at least with newer players, experienced players, and gyms, like it seems like you can kind of get right into it, especially if you're friends with everybody already, you know, because you you're, you feel more comfortable with people you know. But in this day and age, especially like getting online, finding new players, new gyms, you're interact. Nice to meet you. Let's play. I love this game. Like it can be, you know, a little bit nervous at first, but. Uh, GMs out there take note like usually everyone wants to have that they want to have more fun and let loose and stuff they're just waiting for someone else to do it so just dive into it and see what happens I guarantee like 99.9% of the time if not 100% of the time people are going to laugh they're going to have fun with it and then they're going to start getting into it more too you know yeah. and, totally. and you, get the, you get some people who just they can't they just they, they can't get past it. And that's okay, too. I, I, I had a game once where I had a character. I gave them this character. That's a good character. And they did almost nothing. They just kind of sat back. And when they were asked to do something, they did something. And I was convinced they had a terrible time. Mm-hmm. It's like, 
if they were not and then you know i talked to them later and i was like and i was like i'm sorry i'm sorry i wasn't able to to make this game more fun for you because i felt personally responsible and said no i had a blast yeah that, that was just they that was how they did it and that's cool too yeah, um, yeah. So, you know, if they don't, it's cool. But um, you're right. Most most of the time, after a while, they'll learn to inhabit their characters. And if their character happens to be the quiet, shy type who only does things when they're asked to do it, that's awesome. Yeah. And it's it's true. Uh, you know, you reminded me of the fact that I had a player that was kind of shy, too. Um, well, I've had a couple over, over, over the, you know, years and times playing. Um, but they were kind of shy at first. And then they kind of got into it once I was a little more open with it. And then I've also had ones like you described, like they're just kind of shy. They don't play like that, you know, but they still enjoyed other people playing like that because they still want to enjoy that and be part of it. But just because they're they don't play like that. So that's another thing to keep in mind, too. But um, but definitely, you know, as a, as a GM, don't be scared to initiate that. It's almost kind of your job in a way. So definitely give it your all and don't be scared. Uh, you know, don't let fear hold you back because that's usually what it is, like Jay said. Yeah. Yeah. Any last tips or anything that that we need to mention? Anything that comes to mind? Oh, I definitely right. want to cover it. You know that, that. No, I think that's a good ending point. I think that's a good high point to go out on. I do too. I definitely do. And I, and I think we went over a lot of great tips. And it was fun to kind of get into your background of of gaming and stuff like that. You know, we've never gotten a chat about that, and that was really interesting to me. I thought that was cool. Yeah. So I awesome. appreciate. Well, I'm glad I appreciate you did. That. I'm glad you liked that. I think it's relatively mundane, but that's okay. Yeah, yeah. well, because it's you. You know, you know everyone, but... everyone thinks their own life story, yeah. Yeah, but see, I enjoy that. Like, you know, even all the different GMs that I work with, and I t- like, I just, everyone has a different story and different side of it, and I love that stuff, so I love hearing about it. Like, I would never would have thought, you know, that you didn't start with, like, D&D and then work your way through. A lot of people did, but, you know, everybody's story is different, and it's always interesting to me. I like that stuff. But, uh, but yeah, I appreciate you yeah. joining me and getting a little bit personal like that and then getting into the GM tips. That was really cool, and there was a lot of good points made. Uh, Game Masters, if, you, if you're listening and you found something useful, please like and share. Check out the links in the description. Um, definitely show support to our, our Talsorian Games. Um, the guys there are doing some great things with you know not just Cyberpunk, but a lot of other uh, game things going on, Witcher and whatnot. But the video game's coming out. There's going to be a lot of hype. But, uh, but yeah, anyways... Let's not get into another tangent. Uh, thanks so much for joining me, everybody yeah. tuning in. And uh, I'm sure we'll have uh, you know other videos and things where we can go on other tangents. <laughs> but yeah, thanks so much. Take care.